Welcome to Program Perceptions, which is a podcast geared towards dissecting ways in which we might have been programmed and talking through our perceptions. My name is Dr. Tanisha Barton, and for context, I have a PhD, which I feel like certifies me to be a passionate researcher of all things. I'm so excited that you decided to listen to this episode. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. I'm super excited for you guys to hear it. Um, In this episode, I interview Robert. And Robert has such an amazing story just in regards to entering the prison system, what kept him positive, what kept him motivated, and just, you know, some stories and along the way of his journey and how he overcame them. And quite frankly, some stories that aren't so great that aren't so such a great reflection on our um, prison systems. But I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy his story. I will tell you, um, we laughed a lot. We were very honest. And I really, this is just so much fun to record. So I hope you enjoy listening. And I would love to hear any feedback that you might have. Hey, everybody. Back to Program Perceptions. I'm super excited today because I have a special guest, um, (laughs) Robert, who is going to talk a little bit about his journey and really give us Um, some thoughts about his perceptions and ways that he's been programmed. So, um, Robert, I would love for you to just introduce yourself so people know who you are, and then we can talk a little bit more about you and a little bit more about your background. Uh, Robert, uh, family and friends call me Buddy, so y'all can call me that. It's cool. And I'm just a regular guy who survived uh, the unjust justice system. They call it the just Oh, I say it's called the we call it the just us system. It's not hmm. the justice system. It's just us. Interesting. So, and by just us, I'm assuming you mean black uh, black folk? Black people. <laughs> yeah. Black people. Yeah. So for those of you that, yeah. So for those of you that don't know, um, I can see Robert and we can see each other. So um I I'm totally aware that he's black. Um, but for those of you that are just listening. Um, I would love for you just to share a little bit about your journey and a little bit about your story because you were referred to me from a friend and Mm -hmm. I think I would, I would just love to just kind of dive into a little bit about who you are and your background and and where you've been and more about the just us system. Well, I grew up kind of moving around, kind of an army brat, kind of not, um, straight A's all through school, pretty much middle school kind of got a little shaky. Uh, I actually dropped out of high school because I was bored. So I dropped out of high school and I was supposed to be a senior in high school, but I was actually a freshman in college. Mm. So I, I dropped out of high school, uh, kind of got in there in ways that I won't want to mention, but I got into college. Uh, I actually had a 4.0 the one year that I went to college. And then after that one year, I went to the military, joined the Air Force, security forces. I did nuclear security. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yeah, I did nuclear security for four years. Uh, I was stationed out in Missouri for like three and a half years. And then I got out like not even nine months after getting out of the military, honorably discharged. Amen. I got myself involved with, you know, people. And I ended up going to prison or I ended up going to jail for murder. So, um, I actually had six felonies. I got locked up. My, my six felonies were malice murder, two fe- charges of felony murder, two charges of aggravated assault, and one charge of uh, the possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. 
So they really tried it, huh? <laughs> no, they did it because <laughs> I got convicted. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So did you know anything about the system that you were about to experience before you went in? Did you did you have any thoughts on the system or did you have any like what were your thoughts? Like obviously you probably had an oh shit moment, but like what were yeah. um and when everything was happening? Well, growing up, we already know like if you black, leave the police alone, period. We already it's like it's embedded in us. I I can't remember anybody actually telling me that the police are against you. But I just knew. Like I can't remember like an actual conversation about that. And plus I experienced racism in the military. So mm-hmm. I'm already well aware of that. You know, that's that's nothing new. But I didn't know anything about the system and the games that are played within the system. Like they literally toy with people's lives. Like it's not like to them, it's your life. So it's major. But I mean, what to you, it's your life is nothing major. But to them, it's like you're a number. Right. So your paperwork, you're not an actual yeah. person. Like you are documents. So you don't really have a personality. You're you're whatever they're reading. They're reading about, you know, and it's not like. Do you, a feel, like, hmm? do you feel like you learned that going through things or do you feel like you found that out from jump? Like you felt- I, No, I learned that going through it. I, at first, yeah. I figured, you know, I'm a human being. You know, we can talk about this and they can gauge my personality. I can tell them my history. I'm a military veteran. You know, I can just give them all this stuff. And then they'll be like, oh, this is just a regular guy who caught himself up in a bad situation. Yeah. But not at all. I was like, immediately a criminal. Mm. Immediately, I did it. So you were guilty until proven innocent as opposed immediately. It was immediate. I was denied a bond, especially watching the news, seeing people get caught red handed bonding out of jail. They literally only had a story from someone who was not even there that didn't, that didn't even say I did anything directly. It was just I was there doing this and I was there during that. And oh. me um, with the the being programmed to keep it real because that's what all black people say keep it real <laughs> being a real uh n-word you know yep. i you got to keep your mouth closed in the situation don't say anything then i ended up going down with the person that actually did it mm. did you have a lawyer yes she's actually did, a judge now too did was she aware did she read up on your case did she know what you're being faced with like do you feel yeah. like Okay. She tried. You know, when I got convicted, I I wasn't mad at her because she did her best. Yeah. I I felt like there was something that is one key factor that, I mean, I'm not mad about it anymore. But at the time, you know, I really wanted to take the stand and speak for myself. And Mm. she talked me out of it. She was like, no, we're going to. She's like, we're going to, we, if I feel like, she said, I'm going to be like the secret weapon kind of. Like, if she feels like we're losing the case, then she'll put me on the stand. Okay. And honestly, I thought we were going to win the case, but something happened in the deliver. I went to trial. So while the jury were, were deliberating, I knew something was wrong because they were like mm-hmm. writing the judge, asking the judge questions. Like, the witnesses, they didn't have any physical evidence. So they didn't, I, I'm locked up for murder. So they didn't have a gun. They didn't have a bullet. They didn't have witnesses that said they saw us there. What else they might have? A fingerprint or something? They didn't have that. They took hair out of my head to do DNA samples on a hat they found. Wasn't my hair. Found out the hat came off the victim. 
Um, right. What else might you need? They didn't. I don't know. They, they didn't have anything. Anything. Nothing at all. They didn't have me saying I did it. They didn't have anybody else saying I did it. Whatever you can think of that you would need to convict somebody beyond a reasonable doubt, because that's what they right. said. They did not have. They couldn't so find. Did you stand trial with the person that actually did it, or were you guys separate? Like, did you have? No, to- we were all together. It was three of us, and that's okay. another. That was another error on the judge because I filed for a motion to um, have our trial separately. Right. Because it was a conflict of interest, because the person that actually did it was there, (laughs) and that was denied, which was a violation. Um, There, this the law of the state of Georgia, which I learned uh, in prison when I was fighting my own case, is that you're not supposed to allow hearsay in the courtroom in the state of Georgia. My entire case was hearsay. Interesting. Yeah, that's actual an actual law that hearsay is not admissible in court. And my Do you think that they allowed hearsay though because they didn't think that you or your lawyer knew that that was the law? Um, I think they allowed hearsay for a couple of reasons. One, because they needed convictions. They, you know, two, because the judge that was my judge was up, um, was on the ballot to be voted in as the judge uh, in that that year. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty sure that whatever they had to do to convict us, it was going to happen. Just so that right. they have another thug off the streets you know yeah unbelievable well it's not unfortunately it's not unbelievable but just i feel like for myself i i am a, a little bit obsessed with all things system um like i'm obsessed with watching crime shows i'm obsessed with like trying to understand it because to me it's so blatant some of the things that they do to people yeah um, it, it, i mean it's it's literally so blatant that you're like how did no nobody caught that really did we really yeah. do that um so this is just fascinating to me to know that there's like this is a real person right like you're not on tv you're sitting right in front of me i can see yeah. it. and it happened to you in the same system that everybody says everything is fine it was awful like i have a thousand stories before i even made it to prison about just the trial process that yeah. was i know this stuff wasn't supposed to happen like stuff that I see on TV, like true TV, uh, yeah. this is unauthorized. It happened. Like I watched it happen. It happened to me. I got beat up in the courtroom in front of the judge by a police officer. Like it was a lot. Yeah. Like um, so, I got convicted. Um, the guy that actually did it when they were reading off count one, malice, murder, guilty. I have to go back to how that happened too because that was insane. But once all they were reading off the counts of guilty. The guy that did it, he stood up and was like, F this. He just started going crazy. So the court bailiffs, they started they started beating him up. And I'm sitting at the table. Like, we're all at separate tables. Like, me and the other guys are at separate tables. And I just feel a hand on the back of my head. He slams my head against the table, puts me in some police-issued uh, wrestling move he learned. And, oh, yeah, so he, slammed, he picked me up. I was like 120 pounds then. He's like this big guy, big old black dude. He slammed my face against the door. I seen the um the sergeant that's pretty much over him. And I was literally begging, like, sergeant, please help me. And no. when I tell you, this lady was literally eating popcorn while this man was beating me. I mean, I'm not making this up. She literally had a bag of popcorn while this man had my face pressed up against the door. And she shrugged her shoulders. And then he threw me in the bag. My ankles were shackled and my hands were handcuffed on my back. So when they got the door open to the um, holding cell, he pushed me in there. I fell on my face. You know, it was just bad. 
Yeah. Well, and I feel like too, I feel like once you're in the system, right, it's you, you lose your humanness. Yeah. I'll become a color. You're no longer a human. You're now just another, just another black person that's going to be here. That's what you do. That's what what it's like. It feels like on the outside looking in. Is that how you felt? Like, did you, were you just like, what, what is going on? Yeah. It's like at that point, I kind of knew I was an animal then. Cause I was like begging, like, please, I didn't do nothing. I didn't do nothing. I wasn't moving. Cause I, you know, they was, I figured they jumped on the other guy cause he was jumping up and making a fuss. Right. I was in there. So I'm like, I wasn't moving. I wasn't moving. And he, I'll never forget this. He said, you shouldn't have been doing what you were doing on the street. Like you don't even wow. know. You don't know what I was doing on the street. Yeah. Which let me know that I am whatever is in the piece of paper, pieces of paper that they're reading. I am what's on that paper. I'm not right. me anymore. I'm that guy that's in the paper. So you get your sentence. Or, or you get convicted. Mm-hmm. What happens? You do you wait for sentencing? Yeah, it took. Uh, I think I sat in jail like an extra month before I got sentenced. And then uh, when I went to sentence, I got life plus five. Uh, yeah. What is that? Okay, so here's the thing. Like, just I've watched like big trials, like you know, like the Jody areas, the Lacey, like all these big trials, and. When they read their sentence, there's like it feels like they lose their life. Like they they just all the feeling and, and look in their face, it just they it, they just vanish. Yeah, feel sitting there, you're just like what? Like well, the 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 actual sentencing. Uh, I mean, the the conviction was worse than the sentencing. Okay. Because when they said guilty, I already knew what I was gonna get. Okay. So I once I got right with the conviction, there's like the the it was the everything else was downhill. Like I already I was I was malice murder, two felony murders, two aggravated assaults. Like these are literally all felonies that carry. I know somebody who got a life sentence for an aggravated assault, depending on you know what I'm saying. So it's like everything that I've gotten charged with, once they said guilty, I knew that it was life. Okay. So how did you prepare yourself to go in to hear them read like if you were convicted or not like what was that like when they were like the jury's back and then you have to go back into the courtroom to hear their decision um i was actually happy i thought they were going to say not guilty oh my gosh that's the worst yeah because they like when the jury's deliberating they can write notes to the judge asking the judge questions to get more details, something they might have been confused about, questions about maybe a witness said something they wanted to, you know, they sometimes they, they can ask questions to compare um, a, a stand testimony to a written statement. Like uh, if okay. they on the stand, I'm going to want to see your statement that you said before to see if they match up, see if you're lying. So the note said, I'm not, this is not verbatim, but it was like, you know, we don't feel as though the key witnesses testimony cooperates with their statement. So is there a way that we can get the transcripts from the testimony to compare with the statement? So the judge calls their entire jury back uh, to the courtroom. And this is the mental manipulation. Mm. Everyone on earth hates jury duty. This is no secret. If yeah. you get out of jury duty, you're going to leave. It's, this is no secret. We know the game with that. Yeah. And the judge knows that, of course, because the world knows. So when she calls them in there, this is the mind game. She says, if we want to get the official transcripts from the trial of each witness, that could take weeks. And when she said the word weeks, 
the old jury said, oh, oh, man, weeks. Oh, you can hear him groaning. And she said if, in order to get those transcripts and then she said they had to get them like, uh, you know, approved or like legitimized. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 like not the, the rough draft, but they had to get stamped. When she said like whatever the word was for that, I forgot what she said. She was like, that could take months. And when she said months, the whole jury was like, oh, God, months. Oh, you interesting. So she was like, so if you guys go back there and figure it out or we're going to be here. Who wants to hear that on the jury? No, I, I, yeah. No. So they go back there and I'm going to be generous and say 20 minutes later, they came back with a guilty verdict. And that's being very nice about it, saying 20 minutes, because it, yeah. it was probably more like 10. And the worst part, too, is like, you know, they pay them what, like two dollars and seven cents or they pay them basically nothing to be there yeah so it's like i mean i've been some i i've never made it to a jury something they always do the raise the hand part and i always like they're always yeah like, yeah you're not you so um but i just always think when i'm sitting there i'm just like i i have a job so for me if you're gonna pay me you know two dollars i think it's like two dollars and 15 cents or something minimal mm-hmm. to sit here am i gonna be compensated at my job for all of that. So then you just start to think, right? And then when you get on the jury, then you can no longer talk to the outside world. So you're right. Like you're sitting there and you're wondering like weeks, am I going to get paid? Like, kind of have a good case. Like they said, I can't go anywhere. You're right. That is manipulation. And then one of the uh, jurors was, was actually asleep during like half of the trial. It's ridiculous. You know what? Oh you know what else killed me too. Something that it sits with me to this day. You know, I I work with it because I'm just chilling. But I got convicted by an all black jury. So that there was one lady from Russia and one white guy, and the the other guy he was light skinned, but he's still black. He's just light skinned. Everybody yeah. else was brown or black. His head. Oh man. Uh, you know, yeah, that would mess with. Actually, hearing you say that actually kind of breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. But you said like all black folk ain't what is it? All skin folk ain't kin folk. Ain't, ain't all kin folk ain't skin folk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I think that's true. That's awful, and I'm not surprised that that sits with you. That was set with me. Yeah, yeah. They they broke a lot of a lot of different laws. Like a lot of things. Like they would do things during trial that they that they're not supposed to. Like they're not supposed to show the pictures of the victim dead laying in the grass. But they put the picture up there, let the jury see it, and then they'll say, oh, oh, yeah, oh, we weren't supposed to scratch that from the record. So it's not on record that they did this, but the jury saw it. Yeah, we're human. Yeah, so oh, they'll say <laughs> things like they're not supposed to say, like, if that man cold-heartedly murdered such and such, but you can't say things like certain things like yeah. that. And then they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, scratch that from the record. So it's not on the record, but the jury still heard it. Right. Yeah, manipulation, right? Yeah, so if you go back and look at the transcripts, it looks like they play fair. Right. Interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. They act, they literally say, so, oh, I'm, oh, I'm, oh, forgive me, Your Honor, scratch that from the record. Interesting. Okay. So now you get convicted, you get your sentencing, you go back. When did it click in you that you wanted to fight it? Or were you always like, I'm fighting? This is, I'm. Immediately, before I even got back, immediately, because I, I already knew that. You know, it wasn't over. If you go, mm. if you plead guilty, it's a lot harder to to fight it than if you were to go to trial and they convict you. Okay. And 
you know, I started reading law books and stuff. I had like guys in sales next to me. They've been locked up forever. They have books and stuff. So I was sitting in a cell full of books trying to teach myself the law. Yeah. And that's, that's when I learned, like after you're when people fight their cases, like you have to fight your case from the light of guilt, which is it's so weird that you're already fighting from light of guilt. But yeah. they make you believe that you're innocent until proven guilty, but really you're not because you I think that's the biggest lie I've ever heard about our criminal. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, so, that, that, yeah. That's <laughs> when when you're fighting your case, you have to put yourself in the mind of I did this, but I have to figure out how I can prove that they don't really know I did this. Hmm. Like you have to put yourself in the mind of that because you're not saying like you can no longer say I'm innocent because in right because you're not convicted. Yeah, yeah, you're not anymore. So what you have to look for is errors that the courts made to find you guilty. So you could be guilty, but because they allowed evidence that that was not supposed to be presented, um, right. a police officer violated your Miranda rights. A police officer threatened you, or, or you know what I'm saying, or things like yeah, that that they, they're not supposed to do during the investigation. Like they can fumble the ball on the investigation and get your case overturned, or the judge can allow some some evidence into the courtroom that's that's not supposed to be allowed in your case and get off. So what you have to look for then is errors that any kind of error. Your lawyer made an error, a judge, the prosecutor, somebody messed up somewhere down the line to where if this mess up had not have happened, the jury could have possibly ruled differently. That's fair. And you can't do that unless you educate yourself on the law. Ah, it, it was a lot. It was a lot of reading. Because yeah, that's the only way you can know if, yeah, if something went wrong. And it's interesting you said that. So one of the things I am an avid. Well, I don't want to say I'm an avid reader, but I read a lot. Um, and I, and I say not avid because I go, I ebb and flow. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all in. And sometimes I'm like, well, I'll take a month off. Um, but one of the things that I've learned through reading, um, is more about myself because it allowed me to kind of self-reflect through the words that I'm reading on a, on the paper. And so I'm wondering when you were reading and educating yourself, like what were you gaining from that besides the knowledge do you feel like you were gaining like confidence? Do you feel like, how do you feel like just reading and being educated helped you to sustain the momentum and basically like mentality to just like hang in there and keep going? I knew, I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. Like and then me reading even more of it is like, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. So I knew. So really, cause I was very positive, even though I was in that situation and and I kept my sense of humor. You know what I'm saying? I kept the yeah. light in me type of deal because I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. Right. I knew that there was a met glitch in the system. This is a round trip ticket. This is not a one way. I used to tell people that all the time. I was like, I bought a round trip ticket. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting I'm back. Getting out of here. Yeah. I'm getting back <laughs> on the bus out of here. Yeah. Okay. So how long until your first like break where you was like, where you were studying, learning, educating, and you started to see things that you were like, oh, this is this wasn't supposed to happen or or how like what, what was that process like for you in, in getting your case overturned or your I guess your it would be your uh, conviction overturned. But yeah. that, OK, so what was the path to that? Well, I started out with um, books because uh, they only the, the jail that I was in when I first started learning about it, I was in county jail and they have a very limited selection on law books and stuff mm, so okay. a lot of things I was reading was about New York law so I was basically studying laws and um, you have to use basically you have to use past cases to fight your case 
So I you know, like, we're gonna make up a name here, you know, John Doe versus the state of New York in 1987. And what's weird is they will go back to like 1779 and bring up something <laughs> that happened back then to, to use as relevance in 2020. It's like, uh, you know, right? yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. No, I'm so, following you. Yes, yeah, so I was reading about other cases and, and cases that got overturned. And and you use those as points to why I should not be here. So I would say, you know, John Doe in 1876 got his, you know, he this happened to him and his case got overturned because, you know, the police department fumbled on the Miranda rights. Then I would go to, you know, Sam Smith in, you know, 1984. So I started learning that. So I was taking notes. I had like a notebook that was like as thick as an unabridged thesaurus for me writing everything down that was messed up about my case. Okay. But they were all New York laws where I was kind of messed up at. So I had to find Georgia law relevant. And when you were doing that, did you have a lawyer or were you doing this work? Okay. So you were just kind of doing the research. You were doing yeah. the work, figuring out. Because okay. all the money I had from the military and just working prior to going to jail, like it was spent on the trial lawyer. So yeah. you have to buy an appeal lawyer now. Yeah. There's, you know, so I didn't have the money for that. So I was like, it's on me. If I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. Okay. So you became your own lawyer. I yeah. Think. I always say if I can't fix it, it's broke. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. So, That's good. Yeah. Okay, so so you had your thesaurus and you were basically like, here are all the reasons why I shouldn't be here. Yes. What did you do next? Um, well, I started trying to file motions and stuff, but from from jail is really hard to do. So when I got to prison, like I was still like working on things and filing motions. And this is gonna sound really insane, but this is a true story right here. So <laughs> what I did was I wrote a letter to the judge because I you have to well the courthouse that I got convicted in the county. So I can uh -huh. get the transcripts from everyone. I want the transcripts from the officer, the arresting officer. I want transcripts from the investigator, the detective, the judge, everybody. What everybody said about my case, I want them. So like six to eight months go by. I don't hear anything. I'm not getting letters back. I don't know what's going on. A year goes by. It's like time is just flying. So I found out that um, they found errors in the other guy's case. So they overturned their sentence, all three of us, because we were in the same case. So I'm celebrating. They overturned it, and the district attorney can um, rebuttal that decision. So the district attorney rebuttaled the decision to overturn my conviction and grant me a new trial. The district attorney filed a rebuttal. 30 days later, they reversed the reversal. Oh, wow. So I was celebrating, thinking that I'm going to get a new trial. I'm going to get go back to defend myself. And 30 days later, they gave me my life sentence back. Oh, so, my God. But would you would have known that they reversed it if you weren't requesting all of your documents? Uh, Yeah, they sent me a letter about the reversal. Okay. Yeah, they sent okay. me a letter about that. So I've always wondered how that communication works with yeah, mail letters. Like nobody tells okay. They, yeah, nobody's going to come visit you, which is another thing I'm getting to about the visit part. Nobody comes to visit you. So I wrote another letter trying to get the transcripts again because the other one never got a response. And one day I get a call to go to the visitation area because the district attorney wanted to see me. I don't know what's going on. Man, yeah. What's crazy is 30 days later, they reversed the reversal. They only reversed the reversal on me. 
The other guys, their new trial was still granted. So they got sent back to the county jail. The whole time I'm sitting in prison with Life and Five, they're in the county jail waiting on a new trial. So, yeah, that part. And then so, he came and visited you? The district attorney came to visit me. They didn't have any evidence. So the district attorney came to see me. And this, this is probably the, this part probably broke me harder than the conviction. I ain't gonna lie. I cried once I went after this visit. So I went there and before I even sat down at the table to talk to them, I saw my letter that I had written to the judge. Immediately, before I even sat down, I said, how did you get that? I did not write the letter to you. Yeah. So the guy was a guy and a lady. And uh, he was like, just sit down, let us explain. So I sit down. I was like, before you explain anything to me, I need to know how you got that letter because you are not supposed to have that letter. Right. Open it up. He was like, we see that you're trying to seek relief under your conviction. I was like, how are you seeing this? You're not supposed to have it. So he was like, well, we can help you with that if, you know, you can come to the new trial of the other guys and testify against them. They needed a witness because they didn't have any evidence. Yes. So I threw a tantrum. I'm not going to lie. Good for you. <laughs> I threw tables. I knocked papers on the floor. I said, I called them everything but a child of God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told them things. I told them to everything. Go to hell. SMB. Yeah. <laughs> I threw a Right, like I was the animal that they painted me to be that day. Yeah, because they're playing my life. Like I'm trying to get right. from my case, and now you're using my own stuff against me. So that broke me right there because I'm like, they can do whatever they want to do. I wrote that letter to the judge, and the district attorney stole it to use it against me to make me snitch on them. Right, right against them. They're basically using your fight against you. Basically, yeah, that kind of broke me. They yeah. kind of cried a little bit about that one. Yeah. But I, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't win then. Like when I know that they can just pull strings like that, you know? Yeah. And then after that, like his lawyer, the one of the other guys, the guy that actually did it, his lawyer came to visit me. Well, he, they, he, I got a phone call. I had to go to the counselor's office and get a phone call. And his lawyer told, told me to come to court during his trial and tell them that I did it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll be right there. Yeah, so I kind of went crazy on him, you know, called him everything but a child of God over the phone. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, the way he wrote it is that he was like, wouldn't you want to do for him what you would want him to do for you? No, no, that's actually no. Yeah, so I kind of went crazy. I was like, I don't know who you think I am, but I'm not like anybody here. I have a very, very big brain. Yeah, <laughs> and, and no. Yeah, so. And this is when you were already in prison serving your sentence. Yes. Yeah. So okay. they wanted me, they said they were going to cut my time. And they was like, yeah, we know you didn't do it. I was like, if you know I didn't do it, then why am I sitting here and you're sitting there? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So they try, it's like they try to play like good cop, bad cop, like try to butter me. Just up. like TV? Yeah. So that's like, real? We know, we know you're innocent. We, we've, we've searched your records. You had zero criminal history. You're a military veteran. You know, we went back and saw that you were a straight A student in elementary school, like trying to butter me up, yeah. and, like trying to. It's like they were talking to me like they were trying to make me feel human again. Yep. But I know what's up. Back to the manipulation. Yeah, I know what's up. I was like, nah. So, you know, I started cursing them out. Like it was just it was just a bad situation. Like I was bad. Like it was tears in my eyes. I was crying and cussing at the same time. Like it was just bad. Yeah. So when did it turn around for you? Like when when was your first break where 
you you were like, oh my gosh, this is so my I okay, so me fighting my case, I didn't I there was actually divine intervention in my case. I I don't want to say it was a blessing. I'm not gonna get religious, I'm just gonna say something happened because I was working my ass off every day trying to fight this case. The other guys they ended up not going back to trial. They took a plea and just pled guilty to, you know, stuff. So um, the new, it was, a, there was actually a new dis- district attorney, not the same one during our first trial. So Somebody else got voted in. Yeah, someone else took that person's place. So the new district attorney came to me like two days after they pled guilty already and was like, you know, we we know that you're, you know, a regular guy, we seen her regular. She was like, this new district attorney was like, you know, I'm not like other district attorneys, and I like second chances. And she was like, she does. She said that she doesn't think it's fair that they got offered a new trial and offered a plea and got a chance to see the end of the tunnel. But and she was like, but you never did. She was like, we've gotten all these letters, you know. It's like they got all of my stuff, which is. Yeah bogus because they're not supposed to have it. I did not mail it. I did not send them anything. Why do you have it? So yeah. it's so long to get past that. Like why do you have my stuff? You're I didn't mail you anything. I'm not that's right. The, to be fair, like as I'm learning more about the system, that's the part that pisses me off the most. Mm-hmm. No separation. Mm-hmm. If you're a judge, you might as well just be in bed with Every single prosecutor, every single mm-hmm. district, like, y'all are one. Don't try to advertise like it's separate and you don't like y'all are you're on the same. It team. is 100% not. I don't, I don't even know. I can't remember how many letters that I've written to the judge, to the courthouse clerk. You are a district attorney. Why are you getting my courthouse clerk mail? Yeah. Like you're not supposed to have this. Yeah. So but anyways, but she was like, uh. And she just really basically wanted to give me a chance. And she was like, you know, I could because I still had a motion for the Supreme Court that I was waiting on to come back. And um, I already had my paperwork for a federal habeas corpus. Just in case case they denied me at the Supreme Court. I already had my documents ready for the federal habeas corpus. And that was like the last stand for me, really. So did you create all those documents yourself? You wrote them all? Yeah, well, they have like um, the templates already. You just have to fill them out, but you have to fill them out properly, or they would get denied. Okay, well, of course, because yeah. now that you're educated enough, they still there's still other barriers you got to cross. Yeah, you misspell a word or something, they're gonna deny you. Like they find any little stupid. If your page pages aren't numbered properly, like stupid stuff, like one of one, one of two, you know, they have to be like you know, just to keep you in the system, though. Yeah. Be real. People are making money because you're in that system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of money, too. That's a whole different conversation. We'll, we'll probably get to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So you. So what happened after that conversation with her? Did you get a new trial or? No. She said we would like to offer you a plea uh, for 15 years to to we'll lower your charge to manslaughter. And I had to sign a under the table agreement, which is more BS to that I can never file any more documents to get my charges or my case overturned. There's literally, I literally have a contract in here stating that I, from now until I'm off of probation, I can no longer file any documents to dispute the case. 
and they would drop my murder to a voluntary manslaughter and give me 15 years. So I said, all right, I'll sign the contract for not fighting my case anymore. But if you know I didn't do it and you feel I've been treated unfairly, why do I have to get 15 years? I've already been in like six or seven. So I was like, what about 10? I'm already, I already did six. That'll be, you know, with good behavior. That'll be like, you know, I should be out the door. Yeah. So they left the room, came back and was like, all right, well, we'll what about 12? And so I was like, I signed the paper so fast. Smoke. <laughs> Done. Smoke was coming off the paper. Like, <laughs> I signed it so fast. It almost caught on fire. I was like, I'll say, well, I was already in there six. I was like, yeah. what's another two? So how much did you end up serving? Seven years, 10 months. Wow. So how was your experience while you were just in prison? How was, how was that? How, like, what, how did you make it through that? Like what, you know, how did you survive that? That's to be fair. Like that's one of my biggest fears is mm-hmm. going to jail for something I didn't do. Um, and obviously yeah. being a black woman, the chances are very high that one day they might be like, hey, it was a black woman, you know, five, six, whatever. And it's likely. Yeah. Um, but and then you know that you didn't do it. Like, yeah. How how was that for you? Like, how did you survive? Just was it your positivity or was it just like that was your only option? Like you were going to survive? Well, I survived on my drive to get out. OK, like I'm fighting this case to the end. Mentally, it was it was draining. Physically, I mean, I was fine. I wasn't getting raped. I wasn't getting my honey buns and commissary taken from me. So, (laughs) you know, I came out of there unscathed. You know, I I went in and the came out with the same scars I had since I was a child. So I, you know, what about your like? Did you figure out like who your friends were? Did you definitely. definitely? I didn't have any. When you got out, I didn't have any friends while I was in. Mm. I didn't have any friends at all. Like I had the friends that I had. Once word spread about me going to prison for a murder, I didn't have any more friends. Interesting. Yeah, so I'm, I had to meet new friends. I had a cell phone that was highly unauthorized. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> I was on several dating sites and dating apps. Yeah, I've heard about that, like data, data con or con date. Oh no! Well, back then, when I was in, it was a, uh, it was called, um, it was one called Moco Space, oh. and <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was one called Flirtomatic, which is my personal favorite. That's where I got oh. the big spending women at. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, well, okay. So then, when you got out, then you had people that you'd met while you were in prison. Yeah. And did- well, I really talked to a lot of those, but I actually, like when I was in, I met um, a lot of guys that were on the same mind frame as me. Like oh, we're cool. gonna beat, we're gonna beat them. They're not gonna beat us. So for a while, it was like a team of us that we were all fighting our cases together. And oh, I love that. It was five of us together. Well, I mean, it's I mean, you love the beginning part of it, but at the end of it, they all fell off. Some of them joined the gang. Like they got sucked into the mentality of prison. And I yeah. never let prison take over my. Ma- I did what I had to do to survive. I may have had to beat up a few people here and there, but well, you know, yeah, that comes with the territory. But yeah. like, I didn't let prison take over my mind. Like some people just really get wrapped up when they say institutionalized. Like that's really a thing. Yeah, 
You know what? So, oh my God, I love that you just said that. You don't, you didn't let prison take over your mind. Because mm-hmm. I think that that matters. Definitely. Um, yeah. Because, it, and to be fair, I feel like that matters with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're going through stuff, you know, people that get diagnosed with cancer or whatever, um, I've said similar things. Like, I didn't let that define me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Wow. So you you sign your paperwork. The fire started on the paper because you signed it. So signed it really fast. So then you get out. Um, what was that like? Being- um, it was cool at first because I'm a disabled military veteran. So I got to go apply for all of my benefits. They gave me back pay. Oh, um, that's cool. Oh, actually, before I got out fully, I went to a halfway house. So okay. uh, they had me in um, a halfway house working at a chicken plant. So. And, uh, Did that help transition to civilian? not at all? That place no. is like that place is like a civilian prison, like unincarcerated, mm-hmm. not incarcerated inmates. Like a chicken plant is probably like one of the worst jobs you could ever work in your life. I've heard a lot about them chicken plants right now, especially with COVID. Man, those places are awful. They might as well crack a whip in there, man. I've heard. I've yeah. I we we my husband and I watch a ton of like documentaries and. There's a lot of stuff right now that's happening with people that work in those type of environments and how they're awful and how they just treat people basically inhumane, barely pay them, bare like it's yeah. awful. It is awful. Yeah, yeah it, I didn't like it at all. But I worked there. I was in the halfway house for like a year before I got out. So okay. I was at a chicken plant all the time. And that the halfway house is the officers that work in the halfway house are worse than the officers that work in prisons. Really? Because they know that they can send you back to prison. Uh, so hanging, hanging, getting shipped back to prison over your head, it's like it gives them free reign to treat you however they want to treat you because they know you're not going to do anything. Right. Because, it's that power. They, because you don't want to go back to prison. Yeah. My first day there, they were searching all of my stuff. Like back to back, they were harassing me, like going through everything, not finding anything. I gave my cell phone away before I left prison. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So it's like I was getting harassed. Like, and then like the prison I was at, they're so messed up. They put it in the computer system that I'm in the gang and I'm not. So when I got there, I was already like flagged. Yeah. So that made it worse. House for a year, and you basically were still like you were in prison. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Like, can you leave the halfway house to do other stuff outside of work, or do you have to just go to work and then back to the halfway house? Well, for me, it was working halfway house because, which is another form of BS. But my charge is voluntary manslaughter. My charge is no longer murder. But they would not let me go home on passes because I used to have a murder charge. Mm, interesting. Is that? The law? Or no, is it? it's not oh, okay. the rules. They made that up for me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's not the rules. I looked up the rules just to make yeah. sure. Right. What a disaster. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Like, I talked to yeah. guy, one of the guys that I was like, I still talk to him. Like, we're still cool. And he's still in? Or? No. Well, the, one of the guys is out. The other guy that actually did it, he's still in. Okay. Well, so the one that's out, like I still talk to him and he 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 tells me too. He's like, bro, you you got the shit in the stick. Wow. Like where I was sent, I was sent to a disciplinary prison. 
So I was there with all the guys that got in trouble at other prisons. So you got the troublemakers of being in trouble all in one place. Do you feel like there's a reason why you got picked for all of those things? Yeah. I, I think out of me and the other, uh, the other two guys, I I know that mentally I had, I would have handled it a lot better. Mm, okay. I know for a fact that my mind is stronger than to handle that terrible situation. And so, I mean, I guess it's good for them that they didn't get, they didn't have to go to where I was at. Well, you know, the other, the other guy was where I was at for a while. So I tried to look out for him, but he told the cops that, that I was there with them and then they shipped them to another prison. Do you, oh yeah, because you can't be in the same prison as somebody that you're going to trial with. Yeah. Or, or. Well, a co-defendant. Yeah, yeah, there it goes. Yeah, okay. we were there together and I don't know what was his problem. I told him I'll look out for him. Like I was, I was, um, how can I say that? I was in a good space. That's fair. So I was like, you know, I'll look out for you. You know, if you need something, just let me know. If somebody's bothering you, just let me know. You know, I got you. Because I mean, I really didn't know him that well. But he's the only person that in there that I knew from outside of prison. Got it. So it's like so that's my only connection to being, yeah. you know. So I told him I'd look out for him, but I mean, I guess he didn't want to get looked out for. I don't know. Oh well, that's not your problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he told the cops that I was there. They they shipped him off somewhere else. So I, I haven't seen him again since then. Okay. So you get out of the halfway house. Mm-hmm. You're, you're can I say free? Do you can do you consider yourself free or are you just like I'm out of prison? Uh I'm free. Okay. I do what I want to do. Okay. That's fair. I'm a regular guy. Like when I first got out and I was on parole, when I say I'm a regular guy, I'm like the definition of it. I enrolled in college. I got out in November. I enrolled in college in December. I started college in January. I got a car like maybe maybe three three weeks after I got out. And if I was immediately a college student and I go around people and they never suspect that I was in prison. I was just in prison like two months ago. <laughs> I love that. I've heard a lot of people struggle. Like their first, they're free, free air quotes, right? They, they're free because they're mm-hmm. free. they still don't feel free. So it takes them a little while to. I think it is in your mind. I think I, I might, I may be, I may be, I had a leg up because. I'm a disabled military veteran, so I automatically had income once my paperwork was filed. And some people just get out straight from prison. They don't get the halfway house. So I worked for a year at the halfway house, so I got my money that was stacking up from that. I got that yeah. check. So I kind of had a leg up because I had money. Yeah. I had well, a place that, to go. That helps. Yeah, I had money and a place to go. So I had a leg up. I can understand why a lot of guys, they would just get kicked out of prison with a $35 check and the clothes on their back, and then they got to figure it out. Right. So, and I, yeah. And I feel like that's why a lot of people end up back in the system because. They, yeah. 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 I get yeah. that, too. Like, I don't I don't I don't shade anybody for uh, falling back into the cycle of that, because what do you expect someone to do with thirty five dollars and the clothes on their back? And then right. especially though, when the only thing they know is the street life. Correct. Because. And yeah. Oh, and I was going to say, and quite frankly, a lot of times when they get out, that is the streets will always accept you. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it will be there with open arms. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it doesn't, it doesn't care who you are. It doesn't discriminate. And while I was in prison, I actually taught a class uh, in the career center. It's called the career center where you basically teach, like you when you were saying that you teach people about job interviews and stuff, like yeah. I actually did that in prison. I, uh, it was me and another guy. We taught the career center where we took did typing classes. We taught them how to fill out resumes. We taught them how to find jobs. We taught them how to fill out applications. We even taught them how to tie a tie. You know, we talked about, um, we talked about, 
um, the pre-interview, like pulling up yeah. in the parking lots, not blasting, you know, two chains. <laughs> well, you know, like yeah. we, you know, we taught them all that kind of stuff, like me and this other guy, and um, so teaching that and hearing the guys' responses to the things that I would say to them, and me, I, I've never been in the streets. I just kind of slipped and fell in the streets and got caught mm-hmm. up trying to keep it real. Yeah. So me not being in the streets, it was amazing to me to hear that guys just did not get it. Hmm. No, I, I hear you. There's things. So I, my husband and I are really big into finances and being debt free and certain things. And when I talk to people, I'm like, yeah, set a budget and do this. And they're like, but what about this? And I'm like, you don't have to have that car mm-hmm. payment. That's mm-hmm. a lie. I've been told you don't have to have those student loans. Like I, but I feel like as people, if you, no one's ever told you, you're going to do it. But, and mm-hmm. to be fair, nobody teaches you financial literacy. Where do you, where do you learn that? You usually just learn based on your experiences and what people around you do. Yeah. Yeah. And then honestly, like, man, black families, they don't teach us, you know. OK, so my mom died when I was 15. Right. So after my mom passed, I got a lot of life insurance money from her passing. And had I had um, financially literate family members around me or people around anybody. Me, yeah. Yeah. And I don't blame them for it because, you know, all this stuff's passed down, you know. So I don't know for not knowing because, you know, not knowing has been passed down from, you know, slavery. So, I mean, you can't I can't point the finger at them when, you know, and and I learned that. And that's why like I'm really open minded and really open arms to a lot of things because I get it. You know, a lot of guys in prison and I was I was just happy that they were there because the career center that I was in is voluntarily. So I like that y'all want to come and learn so y'all don't have to go back to that kind of life, you know? You know, I tell people all the time, the most rewarding thing about my career is that I get the people that tell me thank you and the people that I help as they move on. Or the people that now four years later will be like, Tanisha, when you said that one thing, that one time on that one day, I heard you. And that is like that lets me know I'm like I'm doing my part and like helping people and encouraging them because again I don't know everything either um I I come from a black family I come from you know low financial literacy I come from post-dated checks you know like uh, you can get it but we really can't afford it but here's a check you know so I come from not having conversations about finances I come from that I get it um we all do actually like yeah, that doesn't mean I got to stay there. Yeah, you know? exactly. That, doesn't mean that, that is who I have to be because that's where I came from. And but it's important that we have those conversations. Um, I my mom's probably going to kill me for saying this, but I had a conversation with my mom earlier. And one of the things that um, she was mentioning was something, I don't know, something about like my sister. And um, she always wants to paint this pretty picture of the world and she doesn't want her to see certain things. But I'm like, that pretty picture you're painting She's going to experience some hardship, but if you continue to paint this pretty perfect picture, she's never going to experience it because it's always been perfect. Um, But again, I feel like some parents want to, what is that saying? Like they want to teach their, they want to give their kids everything they didn't have, but it's like, no, teach them what you didn't know. Don't give them, teach them things. Like, did you know how to save money? Like, Uh, Well, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I always had a, uh, I was kind of ahead of my time in education. That's good, yeah. Always pretty smart. So, like saving. Then when you got out, then you were oh, getting. Yeah. 
knew how to like maintain it because that could have been another detriment to you. Yeah, I could have got a lot of money and just went and bought some drugs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> flipped it, right? It's <laughs> your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, that's the other thing I think about too is like, um, like I tell people, like life is trash. Like life actually sucks. But you living your personal life, you have to make it not suck. So like you were saying, like you want to give your kids the things you never had or paint this pretty picture for the kids. Like, like I give my kid the real like look, you know, it'd be like that sometimes. I remember my dad, when I was little, he used to say, everybody's not going to like you. Yeah. I want to be liked. Everybody's not going to like you. Yeah. So. And I remember when he said that, I was like, oh, my God. But now as an adult, thank God he said that. Mm-hmm. When somebody doesn't like me, I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah. Then another thing is you don't want to you don't want to try to like somebody that doesn't like you. Yeah, right. Well, and I think a lot of that, too, is that self-worth. Like one of the things you mentioned, I always say that we are everybody is one bad decision. Yeah. Of your life being completely different. We are your one failed time of hitting your brake at a red light, your one failed time of not looking up when you're texting and driving on your cell phone and not seeing the car. Like we're all one accident away. Yeah. Exactly where you were. And that's real. And you come from who you like that. Cause, and that's human. Like that's life. It's fragile. It just, it just. I I've looked at myself as like a perfect example of that one bad decision. I was literally a regular dude. Like, college, military. Um, I, when I got in the military, I started working at the airport. I worked at a ticket counter for AirTran Airways back then when it was AirTran. Like tie, sweater vest, you know, creases in my slack. Your thing. <laughs> yeah. Like Did that. you have a Walkman? Did you have a Walkman? Uh, we weren't allowed to have them, but if I could, I would. <laughs> <laughs> like I was That's like, that, when you walk in the airport, I was that guy at the counter. And then I ended up, oh, my God, they took me out of the airport, too. Like, when they came and arrested me, I had shackles on my ankles. And you know that chain that goes from the ankles up to your wrist and your shackles? Oh, yeah. Yep. I was shackled like that, walking out of the busiest airport in the United States, in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta. Oh, my God. Oh, man, you should have saw the looks on people's faces watching me oh walk out of there like a rabid animal. It was terrible. Yeah. And that was a violation because I was not under arrest. <laughs> for them to take them out of like that. You need to write a book. Yeah, about, everybody tells me that. <laughs> yeah, you need to just like sit down and write about it because you know what the other thing is? You could touch so many people that are, they might have friends that are on the inside and they might need that inspiration. Like they might need, you know, like you just never know what you're gonna, who you're gonna touch and how you're gonna touch them. Yeah, so, like when I was in, I would always tell, like I had like a, we call we could we were like the civilian homies. We called ourselves the civilian homies because we all hung out, but none of us were in a game. Oh, okay. so we weren't affiliated with anything, but we hung out. So we had to look out for each other because we didn't have a gang to back us okay. like everyone else. So I told all of them, I used to preach this stuff, man. You gotta stay down for yourself. Don't give up. Don't let this stuff suck you in. Like everybody's out doing things, or you know, maybe guys are doing something they're not supposed to be doing, but we would be like playing Monopoly or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. trying to stay out of the way and not get sucked into prison. And, yeah. You know, only only two. Let me see. Out of it was like seven of us and three, including me. So me and two other guys made it out. 
and the other guys mm-hmm. in, they they're kind of roped in too, man. It's pretty bad. I, I still talk to them when I can, like keep your head up. You know, I give them encouraging words. Like, look at me, I had life plus five in prison. I did not make it to a complete eight years, and I didn't have to go and tell on everybody in prison to get out of there. I got out. I got out the legit way, a way I can be proud of. Yeah. While with, you know, I didn't hurt anybody on my way out the door. Yeah. And you can do that too. I, you know, I get my encouraging words. But I came from life in five. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I mean, I I sent you the, this question, but I always like to ask, like, because my podcast is called Program Perceptions, mm-hmm. and half the time I've been forgetting that we're recording, but whatever. Um, <laughs> what What are some ways that you've been programmed, or what perceptions do you feel like you had or have had, or like, what are how do how does that speak to you? You've had experiences that I could never even imagine. Yeah. Curious to know. Um, what do you feel about those two words? Like, what are some things that you would say, like, this is definitely how I've been programmed um, in different ways? Um, I've been programmed. Um, keeping it real has programmed me. Remember, mm. they ever seen Dave Chappelle where he says, we're keeping it real goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That constantly plays in my head. Because, <laughs> you know, OK. You then you have to dig into what makes you real. I went to prison for something I didn't do. Okay, so if I actually said who did it or who I thought did it. Would that make me real or unreal? Oh, that's interesting. If I'm not involved, like me and you, we go to the store together, right? You go in the store and you rob it. I didn't know you were going to rob it. You just go do that. You decide to do that yourself. You come out. If I snitch on you, is it snitching? Am I real if I tell that you did it? If we're in the car together, you have drugs under the seat. They're yours, not mine. And the police finds it and says, whose is this? If I say it's yours, I'm fake. Yeah. If you say nothing and let me get the blame for it, you kept it real. Yeah. How is that real? That's interesting. I don't understand how that's real. That's We're all programmed like that. The person that doesn't say anything and takes down his whole squad of homies, he's real. Yeah, you're right. And all of his homies that go down with him, they're real. But if they say something, they're not real anymore. That's actually really interesting. So who's more real? The guy that let you go down or the guy that went down with you? That's, that's an actual. That's like a really good point. And you could use that analogy in life in all situations. Yeah. Like who's yeah. fake? Like is the guy that let me go down with him? Is he a fake friend because he just let me go down with him? But yeah. of course, nobody wants to tell them themselves. Self-preservation. Yeah, that's interesting. I love it. That's how I was programmed. And my perception on that has also changed, too. Like, yeah. like my perception on that now is like, if you let me go down with you, you're not real. You're fake. Right. As you shouldn't be. Yeah. You know what's interesting? The fact that you said that, because now I'm just thinking and it so like even friendships, I feel like there's certain expectations of, you know, let's just say like, if you catch like your, your spouse's friend cheating or something, like do you tell the friend, even though you know the friend ain't going to leave him, but you know know what he's doing, but you want to tell the friend, but you're like, she ain't going nowhere. So yeah. Tell her, but then it's like, but then you tell her and they're like, Oh, you're hating. You just don't want to see me happy. But you're like, yeah, you're in a messed up situation. You're a friend. <laughs> right. So, so like, if you don't tell, you're not a real friend. But if you do tell, you're not a real friend because you told them. And now that's yeah. 
and then it comes out eventually, right? And you're like, but girl, we've been like, we knew, you knew, like we, we knew, you know? So My professional real, there's such a humongous gray area in keeping it real. Yeah. And nobody wants to talk about it. Like, all, like really, and really keeping it real, it does apply to everybody. You don't have to be in the streets to be real. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but a lot of a lot of people are confused about that. That's also another gray area. Like, that's fair. If I wear a suit tie and you know, and I'm an IT tech for a bank, don't mean I'm not real. That's you true. Know? Yeah. And a lot of guys confuse that and they think because they thugging that they're real. Like that they're real. Yeah, the biggest nerd and uh, you know, Dragon Ball Z geek in middle school is real. You know what I'm saying? I also think that there's this weird thing that certain things are safe for the streets. Mm-hmm. So, like a normal person couldn't understand it. Mm-hmm. But but no, we just don't know. I don't have that experience. Yeah, it's not that I can't understand it. It's that I don't have. If, if I can't, how am I supposed to understand something that I don't even? I've never experienced to understand it. <laughs> yeah, that's something else I had to go through too because I was never really a street dude. So I kind of just got mm-hmm. thrown in a jail in prison. So. I kind of had to learn to walk the walk of, yeah. the, of a street guy. And were you being real? Like, because. No. <laughs> so no. I'll tell you this. I'll say this, though. I never lied about, like, my background. Like, a lot of guys get in there and make it like they were the biggest drug dealer in the state of Georgia. Oh, yeah. You know, that kind of deal. They, cut, they, say, they say the jail is like the army. You go in there, you be all you can be. <laughs> so, you know, you just make up whatever you want to make up. Because nobody knows they didn't know you before you went in. But I, I never was the type of lie about that. I always told people like I didn't. Like, this is not my life. Like I never yeah. sold drugs before. I never robbed anybody. I had a gun, but it was legal, and I was in the military. And we all, I, you know, so I was boring as they come. Like yeah, I, yeah. I was like I, I play video games and you know stuff like that. I'm just regular. I never lied about the background, but I would say that I was not being real with the way I handled situations. Like mm. if there was any type of altercation that I got into, nor- normal me would talk myself out of it. But their me was like, all right, we all dying today. Yeah, like, that's, that's kind of that's kind of I had to just take it straight there. Like I, I never it was never a time where I thought well, we just going to, you know, have a little round of the fisticuffs and, yeah. <laughs> and then and then everything's going to be fine. Like you had yeah. to take it, take it straight from a disagreement about a honey bun. To death. (laughs) Every honey bun I've ever met has been worth worth a battle. Okay. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, Debbie's, I mean, mm. but anyways. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, now where are you at in life? Like now what do you are I'm assuming you're like working, you're just kind of living your best life. Yeah. Um, what like looking back what do you wish that you could tell your younger self knowing what you know now um before before everything like what do you wish that was there a piece of advice that you could have told yourself back then that you feel like if you would have heard it it would have shaped things a little differently how how younger i don't know you tell me what do you think you could have changed um, I would not have joined the military. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have joined the military. I would have told myself to do something else. Okay, that's fair. The military was, I mean, it's glorified. 
and you know people respect the veterans and stuff but it's, it's especially glorified amongst black communities and it they very much make sure that they have a presence in black yeah like i don't know maybe my maybe my personal experience is, is not enough to, for me to brag about or something but i hated every second of it yeah. You know, it's blatant racism. I've been called boy and not boy like you're like I'm a young child, but like, like calling slaves yeah. boy. You know, yeah. like and you know, subliminal racist comments, you know. Like I I got into altercations in the military due to racism, like white guys say stuff like, Oh, I'm gonna go get my homies, we're gonna roll through your hood and do a drive by. Like if I'm white, you would not say that to me, you know? Yeah. No. So, you know, so like, my experience wasn't cool. You know, then where I was stationed at in Missouri wasn't cool. Oh, well, so I'll probably, yeah, I'll probably, yeah. My, my younger self would have never joined the military. That would have been a different decision. Okay. What would you have told your um, self the night that you got caught up? So the night of that situation. Even though you weren't there, but like, was there anything you could have done differently? Go home. Mm, yeah. Or to the girl's house that was inviting me over. <laughs> probably would have more fun too. She was begging me to come pick her up. Yeah. Like, nah, I'm with the fellas. Yeah. See? All I had to do was just go over and see her. Would have had a blast. <laughs> and, uh, and I was dealing with another kind of blast. <laughs> I love that. So awesome. Um, well, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, I appreciate you being willing to share. Um, before this, I have a thousand questions and I got through all of my questions that I wanted to ask. Good, good. Um, but is there anything that you just want to let people know? There is there anything that you want to say that, um, I don't know, maybe somebody that's listening might want to hear it? Or is there any anything that you want to say that... Um, you know, just so people can hear before we sign off. Um, I would definitely want to say that no matter where you are, what you're doing in life, when situations come about, think about the situation. Think about the consequences. Think about the during, because you can't think about the before. Think about the during and the after. Think about your consequences. Think about how it could affect your family, yourself, friends, your entire living situation. Just think about what it could do to, to people that care about you. Then you got to think about that stuff. Because yeah. you know, at the time where I made that bad decision, I had a four-year-old kid. So, you know, it eats yeah. me up that I didn't think about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was just, you know, I mean, of course, I was drunk, but still, I should, yeah, well. I should think about it. I, you know, I didn't think about that kind of stuff. And yeah. Don't be selfish, man. You know, people, yeah. you know, a lot of people, you know, they have people that care about them. If you have someone that cares about you or just care about yourself and think about your decisions before you act. I love that. I'm an overthinker. So don't overthink. I'm an over, <laughs> I'm like, what do I think? What I think in 15 minutes later, I'm still like, I don't really know. Um, but I, I, that's real. And I think that's good. Um, my, my dad always tells me nothing good happens after 12. He still says that to the yeah, day. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I'm 36. He, I feel like he used to say that to me when I was 10, 11, 12, 13. Like to this day, I still tell myself that. And I won't, I won't leave my, I'll try everything in me not to leave my house after 12. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to adopt that. I always say the only thing open after 12 is the club and some legs. Mm, yeah. My dad used to say, <laughs> after 12. 
Like, and, 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 and when you think about it, it's right. Like you, movies usually don't start after 12 places that are usually open at that time. Usually aren't the places you probably want to be if you're trying to live a productive life. Yeah. I mean, and no disrespect to anybody that ha- that's out that late, they, that's what they choose to do. But, um, you know, if you're out late, you got to wake up early for work. Like, what are you doing? Where are yeah. you going? What are you doing? And why can't you do that at 1 p.m.? And I'll say this, too. I'm not opposed to people having fun. Everybody's going to go out. People are going to want to smoke. People are going to want to, you know, have a little drink or two, meet some new people, you know, have some fun. And I'm not I'm not shying away from that or anything, but just make a smart decision. You know, when you're around a lot of people, things happen. And you know, I'm not going to tell you how to handle your personal situation, but I will suggest that you think how could it affect your life before you make that decision. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, well, I'm going to end this episode. I appreciate you chatting with me. Um, I think that you need to write a book. <laughs> or I don't know if you have social media or what you do, but I think your story, people need to hear it. And I think you need hope. And people need to realize that your mentality matters. I mean, all the time, but... Hearing it from normal people, I feel like matters because we hear it from celebrities. We hear it from millionaires. They're like, oh, it's my mentality. But like hearing it from people that you can actually pick up the phone and call is a thing. Um, And I think that that's important. So I appreciate you sharing and allowing me to grill you. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Oh, I want to say one more thing. If there's any young college kids that are going to listen or anybody that's about to go to college is going to listen, don't go to college for something you can learn on YouTube. Mm. Because I did, I regret my degree. What's your degree? Multimedia web design. Okay. Yeah. Also, you with my felony, I should have picked something else too. No, no, what design uh, company I'm working for with a murder charge. So yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that's actually sound advice. And you're right. You could you could learn a lot of things on YouTube. So. Yeah, yeah. So okay, cool. But it's been. I told you guys that episode was going to be amazing. Um, I, a friend of mine that I'm going to have on another episode sent me Robert's information and I am so blessed and quite frankly honored that Robert trusted me to have a conversation with me and that was so much fun. I love interacting. I love hearing about people. I love hearing about how they have overcome different things and I love how open and honest he was about his experience and hearing him and really reflecting on this episode is quite frankly why I decided to start a podcast in the first place. I feel like there are so many people's stories that aren't getting told. It honestly fills my heart just to be able to provide a space where people feel comfortable and they want to talk about things that are really um, important to them. Also, like, there is not a bad episode whenever you mention honey buns <laughs> and you get to laugh and joke with somebody um, about an experience that probably really impacted him in a way. Um, but now just that he's made it on the outside and just see- hearing how positive he was, um, him just being so willing and so open to share. It was such an inspiration. And again, this journey has been so great for me to just learn more about people and just to talk to people and get more understanding about them and quite frankly, um, have conversations about things that I'm extremely interested about and being comfortable, being vulnerable as I'm learning how to interview people. 
And as I'm learning to have these conversations. So again, Robert, thank you so much for trusting me with your story. Thank you so much for being a good sport. Um, so there's a couple of times you didn't see on here. We had audio issues and things like that. But um, overall, I think this interview was so amazing. And again, like I know I said this, but I am so honored that he chose me to do this interview and that he trusted me in telling his story and that he knew um, that I would allow him really the space to come on and talk about what he was passionate about and what he wanted to talk about. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm so, this is just so fun for me. So anyways, again, thank you so much for Remember your perceptions aren't always reality. Sometimes they are the lens in which you have been programmed. Thank you for listening. Thank you.